Welcome back to this week's episode of the SeaTown Podcast, where Seattle business owners, entrepreneurs, and community leaders are invited on to share their stories with us. Today, I'm joined by Melissa Forziat, uh, who is a marketing consultant. Uh, she owns her own business called uh, Melissa Forziat Events. Um, she's, she does marketing consulting and event management based here in Seattle. Um, she's been doing it for uh, a number of years, and she has a pretty interesting background before that. Would, would you mind telling our audience a little bit about uh, you know, your background and how you came to, to own your own small business here in Seattle? Yeah, absolutely. I started out doing major international sport events. Olympic Games, Rugby World Cups, things like that. Um, and those types of jobs, they are steady jobs to a point, but they're contract jobs. So in a way, it kind of prepares you for an entrepreneurial lifestyle because you know exactly the day that you're going to be unemployed. Yeah. And so the pressure that would come with that is kind of similar to this sort of fight or flight response that you get when you're owning a business of your own and having to make um, get new clients and, and make money from places you haven't really defined yet. Um, so I started out doing those international sport events, and then about five years ago, I moved to Seattle after doing one of those events, and I wasn't really intending to stay in Seattle. Mm-hmm. I was looking for work in the in the space that I had been looking for work in before, you know, in, in more international sport events. But as I started to live life in Seattle, I thought this is this is actually a really good city. And I was exploring Seattle and finding out all these great things about it. So I started to look for work here. And I was looking for full-time jobs and finding it very difficult to get any full-time jobs because everybody wanted to know what I had done in Seattle. And uh, so I started doing a lot of informational interviews. And in one informational interview, I accidentally said that I was taking clients. And it was probably a moment of frustration because mm-hmm. I just needed to say something sure. and that's what came out and I got a client out of it. Okay. So and like, it was, like I'm taking clients, but you didn't really have a business or anything. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it, like the person that I had been talking to had all these really great ideas yeah. about events he wanted to get off the ground. Okay. I said, those sound great. I totally take on those projects. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm taking clients and and then I just, I walked out of that meeting and thought, oh man, this is, that was sort of an epic fail of, you know, it was like self-sabotage because I probably could have gotten a full-time job with that person, but I sort of proposed something that didn't exist that he hired me for it. Yeah. Um, and it felt ridiculous actually, but it just turns out that I said exactly the right thing to exactly the right person yeah. in, in the right moment because, you know, a week later he somebody asked him if he knew any event managers who freelanced. Mm. It was just so fortuitous. I can't even believe it. And, yeah. uh, you know, he, I had just met him. And so he referred me to that client. I secured that client and it was a big enough client to really launch the business and sustain me until I could get more clients. Mm. Um, so yeah, it started with the event side and then the marketing side came in and it all actually works together very well because events and marketing, you can't really do an event without marketing it. And sometimes when you market, you want to do events. Mm -hmm. So those skill sets I find are very compatible. Sure. Mm -hmm. Now did the, uh, the marketing side of it, um, 
how, how did you kind of learn that? Because me, you know, background being with the big international events, obviously you knew that side of it. Yeah. Well, the, the interesting thing about working on big events like that is that you're representing the biggest brands in the world and you have to be a brand ambassador and you have to be on point. Sure. And in fact, it's really noticeable if you're not on point. So you learn the rules of each brand that you work with and yeah. how they speak and the colors they use and why they do all of that. Okay. And you learn how to be consistent with it. And then, you know, when I got to Seattle, I found that most of the people that I became friends with were small business owners and they were consistently asking me for advice on how do you think I get volunteers for this? How do you think I get more people in my seats? How do you think I, and it was always, how do I get more of something? But they never really had the money to go out and do some of the traditional marketing marketing methods that you might use to get more exposure or to bring in more revenue or clients or customers. And so I found that we needed to be really creative Mm -hmm. in coming up with solutions for them. And not only in that environment, but also, you know, I work with an organization locally called Ventures, which is a nonprofit that helps small business owners who don't have a lot of money to get started. And so the skill set that I was building uh, with those people and the people that I knew was very much the same where it's just people trying to pay their rent, trying to pay their employees, trying to pay for life, but they don't have a lot of money to put out there to get exposure for their message. So it's like, how do I, how do I do this in a way that I can afford and that will be effective of all the things that I can do? What are those options? Mm No, um, you know, I've, uh, I know, I know Beto, you know, like you and a couple of people introduced me to him and I interviewed him on a, a, a prior podcast for, oh, for Ventures. How, how did you get involved with, with that organization? You know, so this was part of the process of me trying to meet people in Seattle because I was consistently getting this feedback that mm-hmm. I just didn't know enough people here. So I thought, well, I'm going to have to meet a lot of people. And I thought about places that I could volunteer for that I agreed with their mission in some way. And so I found ventures at the time it was called Washington cash Mm -hmm. and I got referred to them actually, because somebody was sort of placing me with organizations that seemed like the right fit. And I sat down with them and I started with a project, a simple project. Um, and then I joined a committee and then I got invited to join the board Mm -hmm. And it just turns out that that's exactly what I needed to see because I was not aware that I was going to start a business at the same time, but it happened. So I suddenly had the perfect community around me to foster my own business as while I was helping other businesses. Sure. Yeah. No, they're, they're great organization. Definitely foster the entrepreneurial spirit, uh, and provide the great tools for, uh, for people with, you know, without the, you know, capital or the knowledge, you know, but with great ideas. Yeah. And I I think having a community like that becomes really important because I find that so many business owners operate in this silo of their own business and they have absolutely no clue what they don't know. And they have no clue that everybody else doesn't know either. So a lot of times people have these problems in their business or they they're on this roller coaster ride and they feel like they're doing it wrong. Mm But if they just sat down and talked with a few other business owners, they'd realize how much they had in common right. and how much their experience, even if they're in a different industry, parallels other small business owner experiences. Mm-hmm. And having a community like that where a bunch of small business owners can get together and compare notes is so amazing because you can watch 
the relief in people's faces when they realize that a problem they thought that was only their problem yeah. is actually shared by the whole community. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now going back a little bit, uh, you mentioned kind of getting your, your start in, in, you know, big international events. Did you, did you mention what, what those events were and where, where those took you? Yeah. Technically the first one I ever did was the 1998 Goodwill Games, which was a very different role because I was just sort of volunteering from another standpoint. Mm -hmm. But the first event that I was paid to work was the 2006 Olympic Winter Games in Torino, Italy. Mm -hmm. And then after that event, I felt like, wow, this was exactly the right thing for me. I used to be a gymnast. I can't be a gymnast anymore. I'm way too old for that. So what? At like 20. <laughs> at, at, yeah, at like the ripe old age of 22 or yeah. something like that. Um, you know, there's just a short shelf life on that sport. Sure. And, and the thing about it is that you are so passionate about it for your whole life that you know to that mm -hmm. point. And then it stops. So the international sport event world was kind of an interesting way for me to keep sport in my life without having the risk and injury associated with it. Mm -hmm. But it turns out that there were quite a lot of things that would stimulate my mind the way that particular role did. And there are a lot of ways to be involved with that world. And actually having my own business has been just as interesting. Um, but, you know, after the Torino Olympics, I knew that I was really interested in that type of work. And for a couple of years, I worked with the U.S. Olympic Committee. Uh, a couple odd jobs at first, but then I ended up in the International Relations Department. Mm -hmm. And then I moved over to Vancouver, B.C. and worked on the 2010 Olympic Winter Games. And then I moved from there to New Zealand and did the 2011 World Rugby World Cup. And after that, I got into my own business, but I have gone back and done a couple of other events in the interim, like, you know, the 2015 Pan American Games. And I just uh, re somewhat recently did the 2016 Olympic Games in Rio. Mm -hmm. So it's nice to be able to put your foot back into that world sure. without having the, that type of risk associated of having to pick up your whole life and move it to another country and all right. of the paperwork that's associated with that and then do the whole thing again in two years. Sure. Now I actually have, you know, a stable lifestyle here in Seattle mm -hmm. and a consistent client base. And I can get up and go to those events when I really am motivated to do that. Sure. Uh, it's been a nice sort of marriage of all those different elements. Sure. Now you do uh, kind of both marketing and, and events. Do you find that you do more of one or they, they tend to be... the pretty evenly. Yeah. I, I would say it's roughly an even split the, you know, I have a couple of events, but they're really big projects, mm -hmm. but the rest of the time I really, I really enjoy working with small business owners on marketing their businesses because I feel like, um, I'm impacting a life and not just a business. Sure. Uh, you know, when you help somebody meet a goal, it enables them to do something in their life, personal or business yep. that they didn't have before. And it's a real relief to them. So I enjoy working with small business owners. Those tend to be much smaller projects. Um, I have a lot of ways that people can get information from me, regardless of their budget. You know, if they have $0 to spend on marketing advice, I've got options for that. Sure. Um, you, you know, have a, a free ebook, right? I have a free ebook. I have a blog that I write weekly okay. uh, with a marketing tip, and I've got a pretty significant Facebook community where mm -hmm. business owners are really nice about networking with each other and building connections. So they're definitely free options. Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, there are low cost options. And then if people want actual private coaching, if they're ready for something like that, yeah. then there, there are options for that too. But it's nice because there are all these different price points. Sure. Um, and it makes it a lot easier to have these small projects and small clients mm -hmm. 
which is nice for me. It's, it's, it's good to know that you're helping somebody to move forward in their business, even if they don't have the means to hire you. Sure. Uh, cause it can be a really big barrier for a lot of people. Yeah. I always, I've always liked that, that spectrum approach, you know, like no matter what industry, if you're in kind of a information services, you know, uh, thing, you know, basically being able to say, you know, like, I want to help you get to a place where it might make sense for you to hire me. Here's some free information to, to help you get, get you there. Yeah. And I find that in my industry, a lot of people who give, who are marketing experts and give marketing advice, they'll, they'll tell you what a big impact they'll make, but they'll put this dollar figure to it. That's completely unrealistic for the average business. And, uh, and then it becomes unattainable Mm -hmm. and, in the meantime, the business is struggling. They're not bringing in the clients and it just becomes like a stalemate. Sure. And I think it's nice to be able to give people little tidbits of information that could potentially push them along. So by the time they're able to come back to me, they have the resources and their business is big enough and they're not operating from a place of fear. Right. Uh, you know, it becomes really important to meet people where they're at. And a lot of people aren't at the price point of some of the options that exist out there. Sure. So yeah, having those levels, I think can help people to build the business to a point where they can actually start thinking about having a little extra cash to put into different things such as coaching. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Um, so what do you love most about, about your business? Um, it sounded like when you got into it, it was kind of accidental. (laughs) Yeah, it was, it was more, it was fortuitous, but accidental indeed. Um, what I love about my business is the people that I work with because I, I, whether I'm working with a nonprofit on, on an event or whether I'm working with a small business owner on their business marketing, there's just an underwriting sense of passion mm-hmm. for what people do in those, in those forums. And, you know, everybody that I work with has this wonderful light in their eyes when they talk about their business or their mission. And to know that you're helping somebody to do their passion or their dream and to make money from it so they can live that life is to me the most important thing. Um, I think it's really bold and brave to make choices based on doing what you want to do and not just what you feel like you should do. And I want people to be empowered to do that. Right. And I can actually do that in my business. Yeah. What, uh, when you first started your business, what, what did you find most surprising or unexpected? Hmm. Surprising or unexpected. Uh, the sheer volume of, of highs and lows in the roller coaster that happens in a day, you know, I mean, we're not just talking like this was a rough week or, you know, March was kind of a tough month. It's like, how did I feel like the best person in the world and the worst person in the world six times today? (laughs) You know, (laughs) it's just amazing. Um, how quickly things change, you know, in any one day you can get a call from a potential new client and then somebody else can say, I don't really feel like paying you today. And you have to deal with all of it. And, you know, like you just have to keep riding that ride because it does even out eventually, but, and and you'll start thinking further out, you know, in your business, you'll start planning for things a little bit more. Um, cause in the beginning you might be kind of really addressing what needs to be done in this particular moment right. right now. But then you get to a point you're thinking a year ahead, you're thinking sure. two years ahead and suddenly those highs and lows are, have more context. Yeah. It's like, yeah, okay, this didn't work out today, 
but I've got four more things lined up that could. And it's a different position to be in than when you feel like you are life or death riding on something to happen. Um, the, The quicker you can get away from that space, the easier it is to have the business because you start opening up all these other options. Right. You start in survival mode, you eventually are able to move into more strategic, intentional you know, long-term thinking again. Yeah, and I know we both like strategy. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm a big believer in that, and yeah. it's 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 nice just from a reducing your stress standpoint. Yeah. So in in the so I mean marketing, obviously you're not geographically limited as far as your your clientele goes. Um, so what I guess what's kind of who's your ideal client and what kind of sets you know what you do in your business apart from other you know marketing or event uh, companies? Yeah, I, I would say that the majority of the people that I work with are micro business owners. Um, you know, we're talking many of them solopreneurs, but you know, generally five or fewer employees. Okay. Would you classify kind of micro uh, businesses different than a small business? Or I think micro business is a subset of small business because small business can actually grow to a size that's completely unrealistic for the average, you know, for the average person that I talk with. I mean, you can have 50 employees and be a small business, um, which is a really different place to be than if you're in business for yourself and you're the only one. Sure. So open area. That's way different. Yeah. Yeah, So there's this big spectrum in the small business category. And uh, I like to support people who are at the smaller end of the spectrum to get them to a place where they're in a better spot and maybe have the aspirations of growing into, yeah. you know, many employees and, you know, more, more solid systems and HR policies, but you have to build your business and you have to have enough clients and revenue to get there. Right. So getting people from that spot where they have this dream, they have this passion and they want to share it with the world and they don't know how to do it. Mm-hmm. That's really my sweet spot. Cause those are the people that I really want to support. Sure. Um, so yeah, and those people can be anywhere in the world. They can be in Seattle. They can be anywhere. Mm-hmm. But I, um, it's nice when I'm working with people locally because I know a lot about Seattle and I know a lot about this particular market. Sure. And it's nice to be face to face with someone. But you can still achieve a lot uh, virtually. Mm-hmm. And it's just a matter of understanding their industry and the culture and the target market they want to reach. Okay. So kind of uh, shifting our focus. Um, you know, more to, you know, the personal side of things as opposed to just business. Uh, how do you personally, Melissa, start each, each day? I well, first of all, I would say every day is completely different for me and it depends on what meetings I have scheduled. You know, it might be one day that I'm hosting a webinar first thing in the morning. Um, or it could be a day when I really just needed to take care of work for clients and it's very quiet. Mm -hmm. So there's, there's a pretty big spectrum for me of introversion versus pretending to be extroverted. Uh, and for me, that's actually how I judge my calendar because I am naturally an introverted person, which is tough to be in when you're doing events and marketing. So I have to really manage for myself, you know, some days I will purposely keep them quiet Mm -hmm. and keep them focused on getting some work done. And other days I know that I need to be in front of people and, um, have meetings and things like that. So I try to actually on purpose mix up my, my day to day. Mm -hmm. Um, but I do like to get started by, uh, making sure that I know kind of like look, scanning the email inbox and just seeing if there was anything that came up in the last however long since I looked at the right. inbox that needs to be addressed immediately because it just sets my mind at ease if I know that 
okay, no fires to fight right now. I'm going to go about my business. Yeah. What would you consider your greatest strengths to be? I think one of my greatest strengths is creativity, which I think comes across both in how I work with clients, but also in how I grow and approach my business. Um, I think there are a lot of ways to do the thing you want to do. And so I believe in being creative, but logical. I know I'm here. I know I want to get there. And what are all the different routes that I can take to get there? And I, I think in many aspects of my life, that combination of being logical and being creative has been a huge asset for me to see the options, but also stay focused. Uh, What is one habit that you wish you had? A better sleep schedule. Are, are you like me where you're like, I'm going to go to bed at a good time and I'm going to get up early and it just never happens? Or Yeah. Um, I don't know how much I aspire to get up really early, but going to bed early is a dream that I often have that I often don't meet. <laughs> and, and my version of early isn't like the average person's version of early, yeah. but... I was, I mean, I've been like that my whole life. Even when I was little, I was mm-hmm. always wanting to read a little bit more before I turned out the light and I would like find creative ways to like read up against my nightlight. Yeah. And that absolutely translated to my <laughs> adult life. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't know. I'm just a night person. And sometimes that quiet and that, um, something about the nighttime is just nice. I also live pretty close to the zoo and night is when you hear the animals which is kind of cool. Yeah. Like you're on like safari a, at night. It's like a little reward for not going to bed on time, which probably isn't right. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty funny. Uh, what would you say you're, uh, you're passionate about? Uh, I'm passionate about a lot of things. I'm passionate about um, supporting the people that I care about, and my clients turn into that. So, I, you know, I really believe in helping people and that comes out both in business and in life. Um, I, I'm passionate about, you know, there are activities that I do, like, you know, I do improv comedy in Seattle, and uh, I, I love as, creating as a, a sense of play. It is, and you know what's really funny? You know, a lot of people in that community are introverts. Okay. and That's like their outlet. Yeah, and so it becomes really amusing because on stage... Mm-hmm. People are so outgoing and so good at picking up signals. And sometimes you get in a conversation with them after over a drink or a cup of coffee. Mm -hmm. And it's like really hard to hold a conversation. And you're like, why are we both so able to pick up on all of these conversational cues on stage? (laughs) You take us off stage and it's like, (laughs) Um, but I really enjoy that because it applies to so many things in life. Mm hmm. What have you found to be the most challenging aspect of owning and running your own business? Um, the most challenging aspect, hmm, I think uh, staying confident because you have to present confidence in everything you do, including, let's say, for example, negotiations. But you might not be coming from a place where you really believe it yet you need to get a little bit of experience behind you to be able to back that up. So I think in the beginning, especially uh, being able to know for yourself that you can handle the situations that are going to come up because there's, they're going to be problems all along the way. And also that you're going to be able to know your value and hold your value in conversations with people, which all comes from this place of confidence. To me, that's the hardest thing to build, but you have to be, 
aggressive about building it because otherwise your business suffers and you don't believe that you can resolve the problems that come up. Mm -hmm. In the past, what what was holding you back from becoming the entrepreneur that you are today? Well, you know, like we said in the beginning, I accidentally started the business. Mm -hmm. So I literally like got a client and then I was like, oh my gosh, I need to go get a business license and a business bank account. So I backfilled in a big way on this business. And, um, you know, one of the stories that I like, that I like to think about is that when I was starting the marketing side of the business, the first opportunity that I had to speak to a ventures class, um, it was one of my first speaking opportunities in general. And I was teaching an advanced marketing class. I was asked to do that. And I thought to myself, why am why are they asking me particularly to do that? And I wasn't confident with what I had to share. So I worked, I said, yes, I worked hard on creating good material. I got up in front of the class. I gave the material. We did a workshop. And at the end I had a line of people who wanted to talk to me. And it was a, it was a real learning moment for me because I thought, you know what? I think about this subject way more than anybody else in this room does. I do have something to share with them. I can help their business. And the fact that they're lining up to talk to me is proof. And I need to take that as proof. So it actually changed the course of my business. And it created this whole new stream of a way that I could help people. Mm -hmm. And so I think, um, you know, acknowledging that you've got something to share, something to provide is a good thing to do. Okay. So not, not taking your, your knowledge and experience for granted. Yeah. You know, a lot of times people feel like they don't, because how can you possibly know that you can do something until you've done it? Sure. You know, so the only way to know for sure that you have a skill set and expertise and that people want to listen to you is if you try the thing that you're afraid to do. Right. But chances are, you have way more knowledge about what you're doing than anybody else does. Cause that's what you think about all the time. Right. right. So it's just like, you have to put yourself out there and do the things that kind of scare you mm-hmm. and then use that as information to prove that, yep, you were meant to do this thing. Yeah. And it's something that people want to consume. And I think any business can relate to that. Even if it's a physical product that you've created until somebody buys it that first time, it's like, Ooh, do people really want this? They do. You just have to find the right people for it. Right. That's kind of the the clincher between, between experience and and confidence, right? Like, you know, you start your own business because you have a certain amount of experience in this thing, but you can't just rest on your laurels based on that and never try anything new, you know, like you get better and you develop confidence through trying these new things. You succeed at some and you fail at some and you adapt and you grow and you know, like that's how you get good at what you do. And sometimes you learn a lot from the failure, the failures that you do have because you might realize that didn't really work, but I really want to make it work. And here's the things I can do to adjust this. Or sometimes you realize that actually that has, it holds no interest for you to try to work harder to make that thing work. And it, both of those avenues tell you a lot about your business right. and life in general, if you're just doing something personally. Um, so it's good, it's good to have those moments of reflection, even after a failure where you can say, where you can say, what did I figure out from this process? Right. And is this moving me forward? Right. What, um, what is a personal habit that contributes to your success? 
I, I am a hard worker. I am very detail oriented and it's important to me to get things as right as I can get them. We're never perfect, but I think when people understand in both business and life, when people understand that I'm going to work really hard to try to figure out what the right thing is, um, I think it makes people want to work with me and it makes me want to work with other people when I see them like that, because there's something about customer service there. There's something about loyalty and, uh, being there for them that that tells you that, you know, what you want to do and you're going to be diligent until you can make it happen. Um, there's something that you can trust about that. Right. You know, in my, in the business, uh, I work with people where I can see the results Mm -hmm. and, if they don't get the results they were looking for, it's hurtful to them because they probably had really specific metrics they were trying to reach. And you know, if, if I fail at what I'm doing, that means they have an event that's not attended or that means they got their message out there and spent money or time on it, but Mm -hmm. they didn't attract any new clients and they can't pay their rent this month. So for me, the stakes are really high to being able to help people. And I want to be upfront with people about how long-term marketing actually is, but that I, you know, set the boundaries for the amount of work they need me to do to get right. there. Right. What, uh, what would you say the best advice that you've ever received is? The best advice I have ever received was accept invitations. Hmm. Um, I really liked that advice. And actually, I was given that advice right before I went to Torino to work the Olympic Games. And I am somebody who is naturally skeptical and inquisitive and trying to decide if the thing that's being presented to me is the right thing for me. So I can be very cautious. You're exactly right. Um, And that's not always good. It can be good because it helps you see the potential issues and avoid problems. Right. But it's not good in terms of bringing new opportunities in. And when you're in business, you have to do that. And in life, the more opportunities you accept and take advantage of and enjoy, the more that seem to come your way. So this spirit of accepting invitations is something that I try to remind myself to counteract the cautious part of me. Mm -hmm. And it helps. It's, it has helped to grow my business. Mm -hmm. How, how would you say that that's, uh, do you have any specific examples of, of that coming to mind and acting on it and how did it help your business? Uh, from, from helping the business, it's been all those times that somebody presented an idea to me that scared me that I didn't think I could do. Like for example, that, that first speaking engagement or, you know, when a client, when a client asks me to do an event that is huge and, and terrifying. And I'm like, I don't know if I have the skills to pull that event off and you say yes and you make it happen. Um, and you get creative and you figure out how to do it. So I think, you know, anytime somebody presents you with an idea that you're like, you know, that would be awesome. And if I did this well, it would be fantastic for my business, Mm -hmm. but I don't know for sure that I can do it. Those are the things you should say yes to. Sure. And so for me, that goes into this accepting invitations idea because an invitation can look like a lot of things, but from a business standpoint, it's very often a conversation over coffee where somebody says, what do you think about something like this? And when you, and in that moment you can roll with it mm-hmm. 
or you can put the brakes on. Sure. And so you try to roll with it and see where it goes. Okay. So those challenges that push you and your business to the next next level. Mm-hmm. And personally, there are ones <laughs> that happen too. And I'm yeah. sure we can all think of those moments in our lives when somebody like dropped an idea on you in a conversation. You're like, oh, no, but yes. I've never, <laughs> like, never done that. I don't know if I can, but I'll try. Yeah. yeah. And we know when something is definitely not right for us. Sure. Don't say yes to those things. Sure. Say yes to the ones that you're kind of inclined to do when you're really tempted by, but you're terrified of. Yeah. Um, do you do you listen to podcasts? I do listen to podcasts. What, what are your favorites? Um, there's one particular one that I really like, actually, and it's it's marketing related. And there's a woman called Amy Porterfield who puts mm-hmm. some really good stuff yeah, out there. I, uh, I just I really I like. Not just the material that she provides, but the voice that she uses to share it. I, I've learned a lot from how she approaches it. So she's she's for sure my favorite. What's uh, remind me the name of her podcast? Uh, it's all just on her site, so it just goes under okay. Amy Porterfield. Okay. Um, but she's very much in the marketing and sales area. She herself, I think, brands herself to be specifically for Facebook, but the type of material she puts on her podcast goes well beyond that. Sure. And she gets some really good speakers to talk about things. Mm-hmm. There was one on you know creating a good sales page that I found really interesting yeah. and all the psychology that goes into it. Okay. Yeah, I've I've heard her before in different podcasts. I listen to like the uh, Smart Passive Income. Yes, yeah, Smart Passive Income. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've I've heard her on, on Smart Passive Income as a guest, and yeah, she has some some good good topics and good advice. And yeah, I think the good thing about podcasts, especially when you want to do any type of speaking, whether it be a podcast or webinars or speaking gigs or whatever, in whatever way you're talking with people, mm-hmm. even if it's just a conversation one on one with a client. I think that listening to podcasts of people you really like tells you a little bit about how you want to present yourself. Because sure. if you connect with something, it's telling you something about how you want to be. Yeah. And so you can really kind of study that and pick apart what are the things that they're doing here that I relate to so much. Sure. And it can be very informative for how you deal with others sure. in your business. So I think you know finding the ones you like and then asking yourself why you like it. Mm-hmm can help you develop your brand and develop your speaking style and your negotiation style. Okay. Now that's interesting. I was just, as we're talking, I was thinking, you know, do you often come like when you, when someone hires you to help them with their marketing? Um, like I've noticed a tendency in me, you know, like I'm kind of self made when it comes to marketing and stuff, you know, so, but I still don't know what I don't know. You know, like I feel like I'm doing pretty good, considering, you know, what I, what I have to work with. And, and I've noticed in myself, you know, the kind of this mindset of like when an actual marketer is, you know, give me recommendations, almost like a defensiveness. Mm-hmm. Like, do, do you find that with clients? Like I kind of say, well, I'm doing that. I'm doing that. Well, I don't do that because I do this as opposed to being open saying, well, maybe I can actually improve and learn something here. <laughs> that is precisely the reason I provide so much free information uh-huh. because I think, you know, depending on what it is you sell, there are different levels of urgency behind it. You know, if somebody's car breaks down and they Google auto repair shop, they need a solution right then. That is the moment they need it. They are not going to be shopping around too much. They need to fix the problem. But there are other industries such as mine where people might do it themselves for quite a while, Mm -hmm. not really knowing whether they're doing it right or not, not really knowing how to even evaluate that. Right. And 
the, the problem with that is that it's easy for somebody to be defensive or to say, you know what, I don't have the budget for this and I'm just going to take care of this myself until I do. And then time goes on and they're still saying that. Mm-hmm. And the problem is that potentially they're not accessing as many people. Um, they're not maybe setting up the system to work the best for them long term. Yeah. So they're they're always going to be in a place of struggle in the business because mm-hmm. you will continue to have the same expenses but you're not going to have more people coming in sure. to be able to serve them. So defensiveness is certainly an issue. And the way that I try to get past that is just providing a ton of free information. And if somebody only ever wants to consume free information, that's completely within their rights. Mm-hmm. I, I put plenty out there and people can, if they're doing it themselves, they can over time get a lot of good mini lessons that will inform their marketing, I hope. And if they realize that they want to start getting more personal attention and they want to learn how to apply it to their own business and they want help from me to do that, then there are a lot of grades of options that they can take, you know, whether it's a low cost product that exists, that's a worksheet or whether they actually want one-on-one coaching time with me. Mm -hmm. Um, By the time they get there, they already know my voice. They know how I think. They know how I approach marketing. And they can decide if they agree with that or not and whether they would want to work with me. So that, you know, the way that I do it, um, it breaks down some of those barriers. Because if somebody really didn't like my style, they already know. Sure. After they've, you know, kind of consumed the the free information you give, like, they're already on board. You don't have to, like... Sell, sell to them or convince them that you're the right person. You know? Yeah, or or they're not on board, and that's sure. just really good information to have for them as well. Because right. which is just as good if they're not the client for you. Hey, that's easier yeah. for you, easier for them. They find someone else that is. And I think you know, in a lot of cases, businesses spend a, more time prospecting in the beginning of the business than they do years into it because they're trying to get all the clients and they don't have great systems in place to put teasers out there or to give samples of what they do. Right. So you spend a huge amount of time sometimes prospecting mm-hmm. and you're not getting paid for the time you spend prospecting. Right. So the more you can cut that process down and give people the information they need, yeah. the better off you are because it takes puts time back in your day. Sure. And gives you a chance to make the money that you need to by actually working with the people instead of just talking to them about working with them. Sure. Well, on the actual paying clients you have, you can serve them better if you're not spending all your time trying to get new clients. I mean, that's a huge issue in real estate. Like, yeah. The last firm I was at, like, the sales manager literally said, your job is to prospect. That is your job. And so, like, how much time does that leave you when you actually get clients, you know, like, <laughs> it's kind of a disservice to the whole industry. That's why you have to charge so much because you spend so much of your time trying to find new clients. Like, Yeah, and it's tough. And I think that dovetails what we were, with what we were talking about earlier regarding strategy because in the beginning, if, you're, if your time is spent mostly prospecting, it drives your prices with the clients that you work with. It takes time away from the clients you want to work with. And it creates um, more of a sense of fear and uncertainty around every prospect you talk to. Right. But if you've got a system in place where you're creating a pipeline for your business, and that's something that I work with a lot of people on, creating marketing funnels and Mm -hmm. figuring out when somebody hears about you, what's the next step that you can take them to and how many of those things can be more automated for you so that by the time you're talking with them, they're pretty serious. You don't know for sure that they're going to lock in, but you know that you're having a very relevant, meaningful conversation for both of you. 
Um, so having that strategy in place and it takes the pressure off of every conversation you have because you know that the person you're talking to kind of cares and you can decide how much they care. Yeah. If you could recommend just one book for listeners, what would it be? I'm going to go ahead and recommend my ebook. Oh, okay. Uh, because since we've been talking about marketing so much mm-hmm. um, and because we're talking about small business owners, my ebook, Small Business Marketing on a Budget, it's a free ebook. Mm-hmm. So it gives you 10 different types of marketing that you could potentially do if you have little to no money to spend on marketing and how you would approach that in your business. So if you're in a place of struggle, if you're in a place of my phones aren't ringing and I'm not really sure what the next step is, yeah. and very often with that comes kind of a despondence and a feeling that maybe this business isn't for you. You have a lot of options still in that space. Mm -hmm. So I would suggest that people who are in that area right now for their business or in that phase, this is a good book for you because it just opens up some options. Okay, and what's the easiest way for people to find and access that? There is a link that's available from my website. And actually, if uh, if possible, maybe we can include it in the show notes on this. like I said, it's a free download and it might be, it's sort of a cross between marketing advice and just enough motivation to keep you moving forward in that spot where you were thinking about stopping. Yeah. And what, uh, what is your website? It's Melissa Forziat events.com. All right. Good stuff. And is that the, um, you know, along with the downloading the, the, uh, ebook, is that the best way to get a hold of you and find out more about, about what you do as well? Yeah, that's one of them. I also have you know, all of the tips of the week that I've done for marketing up there. That's another great free resource. The other place to go is, um, and there's a link to it from my website, is my Facebook page. Sure. And if you're interested in networking with other businesses or getting other advice, that's another good option. Mm-hmm. Um, I have the best people on my Facebook page. They're really good about supporting each other. So just depending on how you want to harness that, it could be good for you too. Sure. Excellent. Well, that uh, concludes our interview. I I thank you for joining me today, Melissa. Thank you uh, for having me. Yeah. Yeah, Thank you for this. This is great. Thank you. Well, that wraps up this week's episode of the C-Town Podcast. Make sure to check out our guest's website, support what they're doing, and show them some love. Also, don't forget to subscribe to the C-Town Podcast on iTunes, as well as take a moment to rate and review my podcast and share it with your friends. If you want to hear more episodes or find out more about the podcast, you can go to our website at ctownpodcast.com. That's S-E-A hyphen townpodcast.com. I'd also love to hear from you, the listeners, with any suggestions or feedback you may have for me or recommendations for guests to invite on the show. You can email me at christianharris at ctown.com. You can also find out more about me and other projects I'm working on by visiting ctown.com. Again, that's S-E-A hyphen towncom Thanks for listening.